talking about the good of work. And as we do that, I want to talk about works of art. I'm not sure if you appreciate art as much as I do and think that the Chicago Art Institute is maybe one of the greatest museums in the world, if not um, uh, for sure, Chicago. What I wanted to share with you is a work of art maybe you've seen before. It's called The Head of Christ. Now, just curious how many have seen this before. Uh, this was actually in my grandfather's home and now is in my mother's home, so it's something that I saw quite a bit. Uh, this is in the halls of many churches. Uh, maybe you had it in your school growing up, or, or you had it at your home. Many people love that hidden in the head of Christ is a reference to communion. In fact, some have seen in his forehead a wafer, if you can see it there, the host, and a chalice representing the body and blood in communion. This is a picture that has been reproduced a half a billion times times, half a billion times. Now, the person who produced it is Warner Salmon, and he actually is a Chicagoan, a Swede, uh, who grew up in the area and was trained by the Chicago Art Institute. Um, he made this as a rendition. He started sketches in the 1920s of the Head of Christ. This is the 1940s version that was dedicated to a seminary in the northern suburbs of Chicago. Now, the only thing I want to bring up is we don't know if this is what Jesus looks like. I think it's interesting, his representation. Many have said it's the visualization of Jesus. You know, for, for many, many people, this is maybe what you think you're going to see when you get to heaven, but we have no idea. Now, we can deduce, based on his Jewish ancestry, that he probably had darker skin, maybe brown eyes, maybe black hair. But does he really have, like, perfect wavy hair? Is his beard really that length? Does he have such a perfect nose? We don't know. Does he have a long face or a round face? I don't know. Now, Warner Salmon said that he got this picture of Jesus through a revelation at 2 a.m. in his hour of distress. But here's the reality. He used his freedom to give us a visualization of what Jesus might look like. As we transition talking about works of art to our work, I want to talk a little bit today about work as our witness. And as we're getting into this sermon series on Pleasantville, we've talked that any good community has great things for kids. We talked about kids last week, our desire that they would know the Lord. We talked about how to have fun, and truly there are ways to have fun. But something you should know about any great community, it has great industry, doesn't it? Great community has great industry. And so in Chicago, we have McDonald's and Facebook and Amazon. 
We have incredible laborers. We have incredible doctors and chiropractors. Uh, We have incredible financial advisors and electricians. Uh, We have incredible hairstylists. The whole gamut is going on, even amidst our congregation. And what we have in work is an opportunity to tell other people who Jesus is by what we do. In fact, a takeaway I want you to think of this is this, that each day we go to work, you have the opportunity to create a masterpiece. That masterpiece might be some software code. That masterpiece might be um, financial advice. That masterpiece might be your interaction with another person. But you have the ability to create art by what you do. Now, someone who talked about this quite a bit is Martin Luther. Um, He taught this doctrinal vacation that whatever station of your life you're in, whether as a worker, whether retired, whether as a stay-at-home mom, that that is a blessed vocation, a blessed station of life by God. And that wherever you find yourself, you should just try to do your best in that thing. In fact, when laborers do their best and when you do your best, he referred to that as the mask of God. That what we do is representing God by our excellence. This is what he had to say. What else is our work to God? Whether in the fields, in the garden, in the city, in the house, I love that he referenced that, in war or in government, but just such a child's performance by which he wants to give gifts in the fields and at home and everywhere else. These are the masks of God behind which he wants to remain concealed and do all things. Now, when's the last time you woke up to go to your job and said, I'm off to do God's work? If you haven't done that lately, maybe this is the message you needed to hear. Because God is in those details. God is in your station of life, whatever it may be right now, and he wants you to create a masterpiece, whatever it is. You know, I recognize someone who did that recently. Um, You saw in the video that our family uh, played mini golf at parking in the paradise called Lincolnshire. Uh, Maybe I've even mentioned that before. Well, while we were up there, we had our catalytic converter stolen. Have you heard of this? Catalytic converter theft. And do you know that Priuses are actually the number one target for catalytic converter theft? Yeah, lucky me. And so uh, we ended the day and turned on the car. It sounded like a race car, and it is not. It's a Prius. And we knew that the catalytic converter was gone. Now, thankfully, I had already replaced a different catalytic converter on the red Prius. So I knew how to get one off Amazon, bolt it on, put an O2 sensor in. But I still needed it welded. And so I took it to the same place I had the red one welded, and I explained the story, why I'm back, why I'm here. And when they were done with the work, they surprised me. They said, after hearing everything, we don't feel it's right to charge you. And I was shocked. I was so blown away by that kindness. Here I am, stuck in this position. I didn't have any liability on it. And and someone's helping me with their fine work, and now their generous spirit. That left an impact. And that's your opportunity. When you go to work, you have people who need you. When you walk in your life, whoever's around you needs you. And you have the potential to be the mask of God in whatever station you're in, whether student or mom or worker. And so I want to talk about how we can blow that out with excellence. How we can have sustainable passion. 
How we could do everything we do to represent God as our witness. So we're going to turn to the Word of God and and we have a different approach. I want to explain it a little bit. Usually when you come to Amazing Love, we just stay in one section of Scripture. There's a reason we do that. We usually stay in one section of Scripture so that you can understand the context. Who wrote it, why they wrote it, who they're writing to, and, and we don't want to just pull things out of context. We want to give you the backstory. Um, so we're careful not to just skip around. But today we're using two different things. I think we'll still explain the context. So again, so you'll understand where, where God is going with these words. Um, but, but I wanted to just reference both of them at the same time. So the first one is from the book of Colossians. And Paul comes to the end of his letter on how to give thanks to God and, and how to thank him with your station of life. And so he addresses uh, children and, and, and women and, and fathers and husbands. Um, and, and we'll see that addressment. Um, we'll also then go to 1 Corinthians, where Paul is writing about our use of freedom. That use of freedom that I kind of referenced in what we do to create a masterpiece. So feel free to follow along worship folder on the screen. We're in Colossians and 1 Corinthians. So it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And now we skip to 1 Corinthians. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. These are the powerful words we get to dig into. Um, could you help me out? Could you turn to the person next to you and tell them, add a boy, add a boy, add a boy, add a boy. Wouldn't you love to get an add a boy from God? Do you know that's actually like a, a picture of going to heaven? Do, do you know what he says? Well done, good and faithful servant. It's pretty good. Excited for that day. Well, as we continue on in, in work, um, have you heard about something called quiet quitting? Quiet quitting. It, it, let me explain it if you haven't heard it. It's showing up to the job, but really clocking out. It is doing the bare minimum so that you can survive in a position you don't really want to be in. Uh, there are many reasons why people are quietly quitting. Uh, some would say the, the major reason is because uh, they're protecting their mental health. Uh, others do it so they can conserve passion and put it in a different place, put it in their hobby, put it in what, what they really truly believe in. Still others say that it's a result of burnout, that the only way to continue in the job is to kind of do the bare minimum because you're burnt. It's interesting that in response to quiet quitting, there's a countermeasure called quiet firing. Have you heard of this? So quiet firing, the countermeasure, is when a boss or a manager sees a low performer and passive-aggressively makes their life so miserable that they're not fired, but they want to quit. And so managers have this, again, uh, passive-aggressive response, and that's what's going on in the workplace. You can read news about it. This coming after the great resignation of 2021. And during 2021, do you know that a quarter of Americans' workforce, a quarter of the American workforce, resigned from their job. 
or took a new one or stopped working. I bring all of this up because there's part of me that wonders, is the American workplace at an all-time low? Is there a need to refine the way that we work? And what could we as Christians do to refine the workplace? So into this dynamic, I love that God's words are timeless. And God into the workplace says these words, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. Now let's unpack that a little bit. What was so interesting to, to, to read about is who is being addressed. Let me ask you, who is being addressed by these words? I'll give you time to, to look at it. I read it once. Who's being addressed by these words? If you look at the worship folders, do you know? Slaves! Slaves are being told, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Now, I need a tangent teach on slavery. Let's go there. <laughs> slavery is not something God promoted, but it wasn't prohibited. It was just recognized as a position of life. In fact, uh, Paul at one time uh, talked to this man, Onesimus, who is an escaped slave but also a believer. And in the book of Philemon, encouraged that slave to return to his master because he had broken the bonds of that arrangement. Slavery did not always have the idea of oppression. For some who really just were otherwise going to be homeless, they found a home and a, a, a job and, and food, so it could be an okay arrangement. On that point, I also love, though, that if you track the abolition of slavery, you'll see Christians as the leaders of those who say this is no good. Christians who knew the value of every life and that we are all created equal in the eyes of God. So that's my tangent teaching on slavery. Now can I get back to the point? The point is, if anyone had the idea to quiet quit, if anyone could show up, give the bare minimum, and hope not to get caught, would it not be a slave? And yet to a slave, God is saying, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. And he gives us the reason why we can work hard no matter the job, no matter the position. It's our first takeaway. Work is done well when we recognize our true manager. Because the true manager for the slave is not the master. And our true manager is not our boss and it's not the CEO. It is our God. Our God who sees all that we do. And so a Christian doesn't need to wait on a manager or the HR department to call him up and say, hey, I've noticed you haven't been doing this or that. A Christian wants to do that. A Christian is one who is self-directing. And the, the integrity and the ethics and the, the, the work, it comes from within, trying to outdo whatever the expectations are. Even those managers and CEOs as Christians know that they answer to someone. And so they also should be doing their very best, being honest and being kind and being good. This is a Christian in the workplace. A great example of that is a man named Joseph. Do you remember Joseph's story? So Joseph was sold by his brothers as a slave to Egypt. And he was sold as a slave to Potiphar. And, and you think of what he could have been acting like in Potiphar's household. I shouldn't be here. This isn't fair. He, he could have just kind of called it in. But he didn't. 
He knew the Lord was over him and the Lord blessed his work. He kept the Lord in mind even in the account of Potiphar's wife. Something I recognize is that the principles you use in obscurity are the principles you can use on a platform of success. Let me say it again. The principle used in obscurity, when you're working a minimum wage job but doing it your best for the Lord, they can propel you when you have a platform and when you have success. So when Joseph became the second in charge of all of Egypt, he still recognized that he answered to God. His brothers came and his brothers were afraid that he would get retribution for selling them. And when the brothers said that to Joseph and Joseph responded, look at what he said. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? This is a man who knows who he answers to. He knows what his power is for, what his position is for. It's to glorify God. And so he said, you intended me to harm, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What an incredible example. But the reality is, and the gut check is kind of hard, because who at one point or another can't confess they've clocked out? And there are reasons for it. Sometimes we're simply tired and we didn't sleep. Sometimes someone hurt us and we're just not feeling up to the task. Sometimes it is so dysfunctional, we don't always know what to do, and so let's just do our job and get through the day and there we go. Sometimes as Christians, instead of leading the charge of integrity and ethics, we're leaders in the dysfunction. We get it wrong a lot, and here again we see how far we fall short but our inspiration is Jesus Christ. You know, my mind had fun meandering about his great work. I was considering his plan for salvation. And I was considering, like, this is a God who makes executive decisions and is always right. So was there a bare minimum plan to save us? Like, was there another option? Like, did the Godhead get together and maybe propose certain things? Like, maybe to save the world, what you really just need to do is win fantasy football against the devil. And that could save the world. Like, what if that was the plan? Another bare minimum. What if instead of giving his life, Jesus could have just given like a planet? Like, okay, we'll take Earth. You get Jupiter. Can we call it a day? Or what about this? He's the CEO. Couldn't he have just delegated it? Hey, Gabriel, you're up. Good luck, dude. I'll be here to coach you. Don't worry. But it's not what he did. God's greatest work had at its heart love. And he wanted to wow you with his love. He wanted to wow you with his work. And so what did he plan? He planned to come as a human and experience life, and be tempted in every way so that when you and I are tempted and we experience heartache, he says, I know, I know. He is the man who suffered in our place. He went 40 days of fasting without food before ministry. He wore the crown of thorns. He was flogged so that he could say to sufferers, yep, been there, gone further. He's the one that didn't just give money, silver or gold, but as we sang about, gave his blood so that you and I who sacrifice in trying to serve him 
You and I who know what the cost can be at times will never be able to say, I out-sacrificed you, Jesus. He did all of this so that you and I would know his love, that we could always go to a God who every time outworked us and can help us. And because of that great work, we're forgiven. Because of that great work, we win, regardless of how well we've done. Praise be to our Heavenly Father. Praise be to Jesus. You know, there's an interesting word for the work of Christ. When you come to Holy Week, some people have called it Christ's passion. Have you heard that? Christ's passion is a reference to his work. And so I did some research on, on the idea of passion, and it actually is drawn from a Latin word, uh, passivus, which means to suffer or to feel. Passivus, passion. And, um, and so I, I kind of think that when we use the word passion, we don't really refer to suffering anymore, but we do kind of refer to what we feel, right? And so I was wondering, like, could Christ's passion be connotated as his passion for us? And I, I think that's true. I think that's true. But I also want to talk about our passion because I don't know about you, but one of the things I think is a problem in the workplace is a lie about passion. Let me explain it. Um, maybe you have heard this, this quote from Mark Anthony that if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Have you heard this? It's a proverb on passion and what you enjoy. You might have also heard Apple CEO Tim Cook and his take on this passion proverb. He's giving a commencement speech in New Orleans, and this is what he had to say. At Apple, I learned that is a total crock. <laughs> you will work harder than you ever thought possible, but the tools will feel light in your hands. Now, what is he saying? He's saying you will enjoy, but there's no escaping that it's going to be hard, whatever you do, Right? Now, I'm a little bit um, more into the Bible and, and shaped by theology. And so when it comes to work for me, I can't get out of my mind Genesis chapter 3 and one of the curses of the fall. Now, if you read Genesis chapter 3 and living in a fallen world, uh, look at what God said to Adam about work. And this is just work in general. So God said, "'Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food.'" all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. We had a bunch of people uh, picking potatoes yesterday, which is good. But there's work involved in picking potatoes and gardening. But actually, there's toil in any workplace. In fact, the curse of the breadwinner is that there will be toil required to win the bread. I don't care where you work. I don't care what the bread looks like. You'll never get away from the fact that whoever's winning the bread for the family, there's toil to get that bread. And God knows it. We should expect it. So what do we do with it? The reason I bring this up as it relates to passion is if what God said is true, I believe you can be the most passionate about a position and encounter thorns and thistles, and even what you thought you would love forever has now become drudgery, has now become a prison, has now dried up in your passion reservoir. That can happen. And so I have a better principle to give you when it comes to our passion. The principle from Corinthians. 
Paul says, so whatever you do, wherever you work, whatever station of life you're in, what should your passion be? Do it all for the glory of God. What I recommend is a passion reversal. Don't follow your passion into the workplace and then find God. Find God as your passion and then use that in your workplace. Here's our next takeaway. Passion for a perfect God can lead to a sustainable drive no matter the work. See, what I believe a Christian can do is a Christian can be in any position and find an outlet to serve God. And so it doesn't matter if I'm a Subway sandwich artist or the Subway CEO. As a Subway sandwich artist, I can give you your double meat. I can give you your jardiniere, which, by the way, is only here in Chicago. Did you know that? Other places do not have jardiniere at Subway. Interesting. Anyway, love it. I can wrap it finely and give it to you with a smile, and I can do all of this not necessarily because I love Subway sandwiches and not necessarily because I know you, but because I love God. And this is my outlet for God today. And I can be the CEO. And I can look at what all is going on in our company. And I can realize that my decisions will benefit everyone around me. And regardless of the decisions, I can find an outlet for my passion in what I decide. An outlet for for God in how I organize and how I go about. This can be true of a mom. A mom who maybe has a newborn and didn't sleep very well, is tired and has laundry to do, but needs to feed the family. You can still have passion for the spaghetti that you're cooking because you know you can have passion for God by doing that, by doing that simple thing. I believe Christians in the workforce should be the most powerful workers you have ever met. Their drive Their commitment to excellence is fueled by God himself. And if we were to be that, how do you think those around us would react? I consider how the Apostle Paul must have felt about Lydia. So you may or may not know Lydia from the Bible, but Lydia was a seller of purple cloth, very expensive cloth. And Lydia was successful. Lydia was one of the first converts in all of Europe to the Christian message. And when she was converted and with all that she had, look at her response to Paul. It said, The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And that is how gospel ministers made their living. They went from house to house and they borrowed roofs and they borrowed food um, in order to share the gospel. What Lydia is doing as a successful business person is helping Paul in his mission. That's awesome. And how must Paul have felt? We hear it in his letters. I thank my God for you. Whenever I think of you, I long to be with you again. And that's what happens. Good work done for God's glory, it drives others to be thankful. In fact, when Paul was talking about our use of freedom, he says, use that to to do things that are beneficial. And the Greek word beneficial literally meant it brings people together, that it it brings people together. And maybe you've experienced that at a doctor 
when they get the diagnosis right and now you're on the track to health, man, I feel like I'm brought together. Thank you, doctor. When you get great financial advice and now you have a plan for a time, oh, man, thank you so much for that. When you have a great product or a great experience, man, I'm brought together. God wants that to be for humanity, to bring us together by the good of our work. But a final thought, a final thought is this, that good work done for God's glory, it builds other people up. It builds up. What it said in 1 Corinthians is, I have the right to do everything, but not everything is constructive. And it really had this idea of building in that Greek word. And so when we work well, what are we building? Sometimes we're building a house, supporting a family. Sometimes, like Lydia, we're, we're building a gospel ministry through our support. And by the way, thank you to all that support the gospel ministry here. Sometimes we're just building confidence in other people that I can trust my neighbor to do good work. It builds up. So as we consider the good work of those around us, here's your next step. Next step this week is someone has done good work for you to benefit. Give them a word of thanks. This could be children saying it to their mom. This could be uh, an employee that you work with. This could be someone in your life. Give them a word of thanks. Call out the good of what they do. And this week, remember your opportunity to make a masterpiece. Remember that you are the mask of God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the season of life we're in and the station of life we're in. We thank you that even if it's not our preferred place, if it's not our perfect place, we still have a place to give you our passion by what we do. Lord, help us to remember it is you and you alone who we serve. You are our manager. You are our master. Lord, thank you that we can never outdo the work you've done for us. Thank you for that work in Jesus Christ who has saved and redeemed us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, as we continue, we get to encourage one another with Christian community. One of the ways we do this is we just share a common faith. Uh, today, we'll share our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.